Mark Maron did that to me. That's really he did. Funny. It's on right now. So that's really funny. Mark Maron molested me. He did. Oh, it's on with one finger or two. Seventy-eight. He's got seventy-eight yeah, fingers. He's a fucking alien. Holy shit! Uh, Nick Swartz and everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi. Good crowd. Hey, hey, Good listen. crowd here in my apartment. I forgot to tell you on my way in. Uh, I hate squirrels. Really? You have a very aggressive squirrel. I think it's just me, by the way. I love squirrels. Do you? Squirrels yeah. seem to follow me, taunt me. They uh, charge at me. Is it your hair? Do you have a you have a squirrel ask? Well, I yeah. do have a Jufro. You have a squirrely little mall. <laughs> I'm half mullet right now. You have a squirrelet. I've I've gone <laughs> <laughs> I've gone half mullet for I would say I've gone half mullet for a, a large portion of my life, not fashion wise, pure laziness. Right. Okay. Pure like I. I started wearing hats when I was like 13 because this is funny. The, you know, the things that your parents were allowed to say to you back then, you could never say to your kids now. Right. My, I was walking, my dad was walking through the kitchen and I was um, washing dishes and he looked at me and he goes, you have a huge forehead. And I've been wearing a fucking hat <laughs> ever since. I went upstairs and looked in the mirror like, oh my God, he's right. And then to make sure that I really felt that way, my mother, who was trying to be nice, was like, it's not true, honey. It just means you have more brains. I was like, oh, it is, babe. Oh, so she kind of weirdly confirmed it. Not weirdly. <laughs> I mean, on the fucking nose. <laughs> it's, it is weird to say that somebody has too many brains. That, that, then I think that like it might be coming out of your ear. Or, like It's too much. Like It's squished into yeah. this fucking and clearly, mega mind. Anyone who knows me knows too many brains, not my problem. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, you're good. You may may be around right, but too many brains. I don't think anyone would ever accuse me yeah. of. Do you? Is there anything you can think of that your that you when you were growing up that your parents weirdly put on you? Um, yeah, I've outgrown it, but I definitely my teeth when I was a kid, which is kind of every kid when they when they kind of transition. Into being did you end up transitioning like a kid when you were a into kid? like a faggot? What did you did you transition when you were a kid? Well, that's I, I, I had a transition. <laughs> I've gone back and forth with my genitals. Have a lot you? of people, yeah, you it's like Caitlyn Jenner's asshole. like bragging about one switch. I switch every year on Christmas morning. It's like that and my song. family opens up my pants. It's it, we, it's a whole <laughs> it's a whole magic moment with the family. <laughs> The revealing of the genitals. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great, everybody. Everybody sits around, the kids unwrap it. Or? Yeah, everybody's involved. <laughs> and, and they then, make bets? Yeah, there's a lot of bets. A lot of people lose money. Grandma loses every time she gets... Does she always pick dick? <clears throat> you're, if I know anything picks, about your grandmother, you're, she always picks dick. She always picks dick. She, we all know that about grandma. Grandma dude. is on board for a little <laughs> bit of the D. You know, my grandma does the finale. She goes, all right, let's watch it come. So whether it's a vagina or a penis, she kind of does the whole, <laughs> the big grand finale. Is there an age that you, I think I'm going to tap out of sex with other people at a certain age. I think I'll still jerk off, but I think at a certain age, I don't know that I want to see that other person who's a certain age naked. Do you know right. what I mean? I, I, my theory about dicks that don't work, I think half of them don't work because of, you know, biological, but I think some dicks don't work just when you're 80. You still know what you think is good looking. And right. When an 80 year old of another man or woman gets undressed in front of you. You're like, well, that shit doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
I, I, I'm just, sex to me just isn't really that important. I don't know. I, I don't really give a fuck. Always? No, I mean, back in the day, you know what I mean? When I was fucking like 10. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, all over the place. I know. I just don't even really give a fuck that much about it. Like, people are always like, I mean, I have friends that like need to get laid all the fucking time. Like, yeah. if we go, you know, I'm a big sports fan. And like, I love sports in my life. I just, everything is kind of mapped around that. So like, I hate when you go to a bar with like your buddies and like the game's on. If it's a big game or something, playoff game, and I'll be watching the game. Like I like chilling out at a bar, getting a drink, watching a game. And I'll have friends like, "Fuck, man!" And I'm like, "What? What's up?" And they're like, "There's no fucking pussy here. There's no fucking pussy." And I'm like, "Yeah, let's watch the game. And then if you want to go out after, let's just focus." And he's like, "This fucking bar sucks." And they'll like piss and moan. It's like, and then I and then I go, "Okay, you're fucking gay. You're gay." You know what I mean? Like, nobody's that insecure and freaking out that there's not a vagina within a foot of their fucking face well, I'll tell when you you're what. watching a fucking game. Anybody like, everybody wants to get laid. I get that. You know what I mean? Like, I get seeing a vagina and some fucking tits, but it's like, you don't, it doesn't have to be, you don't you don't need tit sunglasses on your fucking head. Watch a fucking game, dick. Wait. What? Tit sunglasses. Yeah. That, I don't know how it could be done. But somebody would make a lot of money. We were talking. I mean, if somebody could somehow make sever tits and put them over your head. Well, that's when you say sever. That's not great. Well, I mean, I don't know what else you mean. My dad was Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> nobody anybody, knows that. <laughs> anybody who screams, "Where's the pussy at?" is not getting any pussy. No, and if you saw, I'm, I'm actually referencing my buddy. This is fucking amazing. This is real. I just remembered this now. Okay. My buddy Russ. And he's always like, dude, where's the pussy, bro? And uh, he's, he from? he's from Boston. Okay. And we were in San Francisco. I was doing shows. And he goes, I'm going to drive up. I'm like, all right. So he drives up. And we're in San Francisco. We're at a bar. One of my favorite bars. Lefty O'Doul's. And we're watching. Uh, what playoffs were they? Uh, it was early NBA uh, playoffs. And we're watching the games. And we're having beers. It was great. Good, good vibe. Laughs. And he's like, this fucking sucks. There's no fucking pussy. And he has a meltdown, and then he fucking leaves, and then he calls me. He goes, I'm on the road. I go, where are you going? He goes, I'm going home to L.A. He goes, San Francisco, there's no pussy in San Francisco. I go, yeah, it's fucking San Francisco, dude. First of all, there is uh, there are there, women there. There, there is yeah, women there. I've seen some vaginas there. And then he fucking threw a tantrum and was like, went back to L.A. And I was like, and, he, and then he goes, there's so many fucking dudes. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> again... <laughs> I go, yeah, it's San Francisco. <laughs> Not that like the whole city is dudes, but there's a lot of dudes there. But still, you know, but, but there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful, smart women in San Francisco. The point being is my friend is a fucking idiot asshole. But also, listen, there, there, there's time and place for everything. That's like, there, why can't you just go and watch a game and enjoy watching? I don't, game? I don't know. That is the whole. That's the big picture of what I'm talking about. I don't understand that. Like, why can't you go? And just watch a game with your friend. You have to just hunt for just go on your fucking phone and go on yeah. one of your million apps. Pornhub, yeah, Pornhub, or go on fucking Blender or whatever Blend, the fuck. Blender, Blender would be a great one. Yeah, put your with, dick in a Blender. With, that's that's <laughs> what you do. <laughs> the Blender is a new one. Where yeah. You go and everyone puts their genitals in a blender and they mix it up <clears throat> and everyone takes a sip. Yeah, you do blender. a shot. You do a, sh a genital shot. Genital shot. Are but, you uh, rank rank your sports for me? Like, are you a football guy first? 
Because I know you're I a would huge say, Minnesota fan. I'm a really psychotic Vikings fan. Yes. I'm a huge college basketball fan. I uh, so you're a, you're a University of Minnesota fan. I am not. I have been. This is going to cause a ruckus. A fucking ruckus. But um, I ever since I was a kid, nine years old, I've been a, a diehard Duke fan. Duke. Yeah. Ooh. Major Duke fan. Wow. But I was a fan before they won anything. I was a fan before all of it. I'm talking like 80s. What was your why? I had a cousin go there, and they're like, oh, your cousin goes there. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I started watching them, and I just liked everything about how they played basketball. I liked Coach K. I liked... White people. I don't know. I liked... Well, no. I mean, that's... A mis- <laughs> you know, they have good white dudes, but like, I liked... Fucking Allah Abdel Nabi, Danny Ferry, Quinn Steiner, Robert Bricky. Oh, that is old school. I mean, you know, Johnny Dawkins. I mean, those guys, I just like their vibe. It was like really united, like after, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but I just was obsessed with Duke. And I've been to 10 Final Fours. I've seen him win it four times. I went to the Duke Butler Final Four. Did you? I was there. That was mental. And I was sitting, okay, because I was working for Fox Sports at the time. And I was, so I was there kind of walking around and I had a pass to get around and right so if this is the hoop that they're driving down to take that last shot uh-huh I'm sitting on the opposite end so I can see the shot and I was like oh that's going in yeah that was so close I was dude. like oh fuck that is going in that was one of the best games I've now a lot of it had to do because you were there but there that was an amazing game to see live it was an amazing game but Here's the thing about being a Duke fan is just everybody hates you. So, you know, it's like I I almost got into a fight in the bathroom. Uh, Some dude, I walked in. This was in the semifinals. (laughs) And I walked in. They were playing West Virginia. And everybody in the bathroom was wearing West Virginia stuff. And then a guy elbowed me at the urinal. And I was like, "Mm, all right, guy. And then, you know, Duke won. (laughs) And and then afterwards, the Butler final yeah, I mean, that was in Indiana, so people were not thrilled that I was walking around with Duke shit on. But, you know what I mean? Like, I, whatever, I fucking, I, that's my team, and I, I you know, I, I defend my teams. Like, people can fucking you hate should. on me and hate on my, hate on Duke, but I mean, I don't give a fuck. In Indianapolis that weekend, so we... We don't even have the most championships. Such a misconception that, no, like... No, no, you don't. No, you don't. No. We were in Indianapolis that weekend, and so we, uh, one night we went out, because we <coughs> wanted to see all the fan bases, and we went out to this karaoke bar that was filled with West Virginia people. Right. And they must have sang that John Denver song, West Virginia. Yeah, rock about, man. About a zillion times. Next, coming up to the stage singing John Denver, it's right. Gomer, and, his, and it was hilarious. And they just sang it on a fucking loop. Right. The first, you know comedy, the third time it was funny, right. fourth, fifth, sixth time, not funny. By the tenth time. Amazing. It was like incredible yeah and they never got tired of it i will say this they were the friendliest fans that i have i have ever the toughest fans for me on the on doing working that fox sports were the sec football fans oh yeah they're rough because if you are not if you're not pulling for their team yeah sec football to me is another and it's not even just to me, but it's SEC football is another. It's a complete another dimension. It's a religion. It's a religion. It's a it's a way of life. It's it's beyond intense. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really. I've never seen anything like that. You know. I mean, I've been around sports and been to a lot of events, but SEC football and being from Minnesota, I'm so removed from that because it's Minnesota is not really a college football no. state. 
I mean, God bless the Gophers, and you know, like, but you know, Minnesota. You know, I mean, we had Daryl Thompson back, and we've had, you know, we got, um, oh my God, Eric Decker, you know, yeah. for the Gophers, which I tweeted, um, if Eric Decker would sit in a hot tub with me, but it was just like a joke, He's, and then like people are like, "What's wrong with you?" I was like, "No, it was a joke." He's by the really way, good looking dude. I love my wife, but I would jump in a hot tub with Eric Decker. Yeah, fuck yeah. Just comb his hair and pee on him. <laughs> he's, he's about as handsome. And look, I'm a, I'm a... And he's a stud. I'm a Patriots fan. So one of the things, not only do I love the fact that we win, but I think as far as quarterbacks go, we have the most handsome tandem. And I'm not... I'm proud to say it. Would you go Brady and Ginny and Garofalo or Jimmy Garofalo, whatever? Right. That combination is like... I mean, we win on all in all facets. Yeah, that, that doesn't get so. Eric Decker, I'd hop in a hot tub just to ask him some yeah, football he's, questions. He's a boss, dude. Not terrible. Are you so you go football, college basketball, and F- then football, baseball? college basketball, and then you know, I would say you know it's pretty close with the Timberwolves and the Twins. Um, you know, the Twins are fucking so frustrating. You know, I mean, uh, God. did you? Ever you're so you from Minneapolis proper? I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul. So do you like when, as someone from Minnesota, right? When Prince passes, does that right. hit you harder, or does that like you? That hits uh, for sure way harder. What I because I, for someone who's not from Minnesota, right? What does he? What did he mean to that? Did he put a lot back into the city and all a that ton? Shit? I mean. He was just, he was Minnesota. He's the guy that put us on the map. I mean, it was like, everybody made fun of Minnesota for years. I mean, even now, like, people are like, oh, you're from Minnesota? Like, people don't, like, really kind of comprehend that it's a legitimate, like, state. Yeah. And, like, an amazing town for a myriad of reasons. I mean, it's fucking great. Minneapolis, oh, St. Paul. I love Paul. Minneapolis. I love Minneapolis. It's epic. Yeah. Great comedy town. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal and comedy town. they come town. out. They, they come, come out, out in a blizzard. Yeah. You know, so Prince was one of those people that was like, motherfucker, Minnesota's cool. You know what I mean? Like, First Ave is the club that he, you know, they did Purple Rain. And he stayed there, and he had Paisley Park there, and he recorded there. And he was just always kind of like our dude, where, like, Bruce Springsteen was like Jersey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Cobain was like, you know, Seattle, whatever. Like, I mean, everybody had, like, Billy Joel. I mean, everybody had their dude. You know what I mean? And, you know, Prince was, like, always our guy. And he was just, you know, when he, when you were a kid, everyone's first album was Purple Rain in Minnesota. <sighs> You would open up your fucking present and it was Purple Rain. Do you know what's incredibly depressing? So the week after he died, I went on stage and I would ask people who look young, 30 and under, name your favorite Prince song. And a lot of them couldn't name a Prince song. Right. Uh, now, they all could name, i go name a Michael Jackson song and they could name 10. Yeah. But they came out in the same era. I could never right. figure out why Michael Jackson's music to like even my son my son knows all his whole catalog i never understood why prince didn't translate like that because i would say his catalog of music if is if it isn't equal it's better than michael jackson's prince is different i mean you know he just his style and he, you know he was a little bit more racy in terms of like sexuality a black like, guy in the 70s wearing stockings well, yeah and and you listen to like darling nikki yeah. like when i li- listen back to that song I was like, I was jamming to this when I was nine, yeah, yeah. and it was like dildoing yourself in the magazine. You know what I mean? So I think like Prince was so sexual. So I think in terms of young people now, I don't know if they really were hip to it. You yeah. know, I mean, I think kids would probably know like "Let's Go Crazy" and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, Michael was definitely more accessible. But I mean, Prince was a genius. I mean, he was a musician. He was 
on another planet in terms of, you know, the people that were affected by Prince's death, I think were really diehard Prince fans. Yeah. You know I mean? Like it really struck a chord with people, you know, because he, he's, I don't know. I just, he, his style and what he did was really, it was broad, but it was also very specific, you know, it, 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 but here's the, 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 to me, a true artist, right. And the great ones are translate broad, right. But they also never lose their unique voice. Yeah. Do you know? So yeah, totally. That's what makes a superstar. Somebody that can hit for whatever reason. Like I said, you're talking about a black guy in the seventies who wore stop fishnets and panties and, and was still accepted at that time by the black community, which had never seen a dude do that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's pretty fucking crazy. My buddy told me a story. He saw Prince in the late 70s at a tiny club. I think it was New York. And he said everybody was kind of excited for this new guy, Prince. And they went to this club and he said Prince walked out. Prince was very short. He was like five feet. Yeah, he was a tiny guy. He was a small dude. And he walked out on stage in like assless chaps and he looked insane and, uh, you know, he had eyeliner on or whatever and a vest, no shirt. And he said he walked out on stage and everybody, he was like in high heels and everybody was just staring at him like, what the fuck is going on? And uh, he just blasts into his first song, just shreds it on guitar and the crowd's freaking out going nuts and then the song's over and he walks back up to the mic and he just goes, how you like me now? Uh, <laughs> and he just said it was the fucking coolest thing he'd ever seen. And it was just like, that was so Prince. He was just a dude that was so confident and knew that he was a fucking legend early on. It was just like, here I am, dude. Have you? Did you ever see him? I've seen him live for sure, yeah. yeah I got to tell you, like I saw him a couple times live. And his uh, quiet confidence... Yeah. He when we were in we saw him in Vegas at the Hard Rock when he was touring with those three girls. Uh, this was like 2 years ago, 3 years ago. Right. And cuz he was trying to launch their career and um so he started to sing some of his songs. And then he started to do a medley of his songs. And he the medley, the chorus to the medley was I've got too many hits. He he was basically saying, I can't sing all my songs for you right. because I've got too many hits. <laughs> And so the chorus was, I got too many hits, uh, I got too many hits, uh, and I was like, this guy is the fucking best. Are you, he just named a song. I've got too many hits. Right. And everyone was like, yeah, he does. He's got too many hits. That's hilarious. Oh, come on. Like that. And no, but that's the thing. Like nobody looked at him like, what an asshole. Right. He didn't have that. It was just honest. It was just like, I'm, I have, I have too many hits, Just so you know, but I'm not going to just say that I'm going to sing it. <laughs> So it becomes another hit. Yeah, I'm going to actually write it into a hit that I've got. <laughs> you know, I will tell you, like, I, I, I um, you know, he wore, I wore eyeliner for like a week just because I wanted to see. I remember that. Yeah, it was great, right? Yeah. I have to tell you, if I could get away with it, I, th I think I look way better with a little eyeliner. I don't think I'm gonna. Right. But my wife even said, she was like, I don't hate it. And I was like, I'm going to keep it for a couple of days. She was like, yeah, I don't hate it. It, but it changes. That's where it starts, and then you're revealing your genitals Christmas morning. Your new genitals. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I and what I or when Hanukkah, I sir. when I <laughs> when I reveal Eight days my of genitals, genitals, I pop them out of my asshole. Right. So I tuck the new pit, and I just go. Yeah. Hey everybody, listen. Here we go. Here's the new genitals. <laughs> and, <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> and then you sing your song. I got too many dicks. I got too I many got too many dicks. Uh. I did sit on my nuts this morning, which was a terrible thing. Yeah, that's not good. Have you done that? I've just, yeah, 
Obviously. I make sure of it. Every morning just to make sure you're still alive? Yeah. Am that's I, how you know. Do I still feel? Yes, I still feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sit on everybody's nuts. Everybody's nuts? Yeah, that's the only reason I would go to see Santa Claus. Is that on your special skills in your bio? Yeah, nut setter. It's important to have on there. Let's see. Swartz and Swartz. Let's oh. go back to squirrels. So you'll you'll probably be baffled by this. When I lived in New York, this is a true story. I would... You know, in the afternoon, I was up and coming stand up, so I would have a lot of time to kill. So I'd go to the park. Can I ask what years this are when you we just ninety eight? Okay. So I would go to the park, and I saw a guy feeding squirrels, and he had squirrels all over him, and I was like, I need to be that guy. What do you mean all over him? He had squirrels crawling on him on and his eating, body. Yeah, and oh, eating nuts out of his hand. Fuck that. So I fucking went and got. I talked to the guy, and I got the nuts, and I went and sat in the park, and the squirrels came over, and they would climb up on my arm. And I would put the squirrel, the, I would put the nuts in my fist, and they would reach in with their little hands and pull it out, and then they would eat it on my arm. And I would, and I would have like two or three squirrels on my arm. They're little fucking rats, dude. They were awesome. They, they're really docile. If you don't like freak out, they don't attack you. There's a squirrel in my yard. Right. That whenever I walk to my car, he stand, he sits in the trees and hops from tree to tree, throwing shit down at me. Yeah. All right. That's aggressive. Do you have his number? <laughs> <laughs> That's aggressive <laughs> shit. No, they don't fuck around, dude. I've made sounds. There's like a, a sound that I used to do in Minnesota where I go, this kind of clicking noise. Yeah. And it attracts them and they've, they've chased me. See? Yeah. So they're you know they're pretty fearless. Yeah. I don't... My, my dog runs away from squirrels, which is embarrassing, but... I, I, oh, my God. I, yeah, he's a bit of a pussy. He's half... You got to put him down. Should I today? Yeah, with squirrels. Just throw like... Just um, put nuts on them and let squirrels attack them <laughs> yeah. and that'll... <laughs> yeah, that's that all it needs to go down. When you started stand up in '98, I started '96. '96. So I saw you the other night at the Laugh Factory, and by the way, you fucking crushed. Oh, thanks, man. Um, but your personality on stage, uh huh, is that how you how you always have always been on stage? Did you morph at all? I did morph. I was a lot more like crazy energy on stage. Like when I first started, I didn't really. I, I'd never wanted it to be quiet on stage. Like I was very like frenetic energy. So I would just go, it was just crazy. I was just like an explosion. So I'd run on stage and immediately start my act and then blah, blah, blah. It was just loud and really physical. And uh, yeah, and then it kind of evolved. And that's what New York kind of did is I adopted this kind of, I, I went into the alternative comedy scene with like David Cross and Bob Odenkirk and Janine Garofalo and a lot of those people, I would get those shows, and that was a lot more laid back. And who a lot was more. the other side? Like, if that was the alternative crowd at the time, there, who was playing the other places? Um, back then it was like, you know, Kevin Brennan, Patrice O'Neill, Jim Norton. I mean, we were all kind of coming up. Yeah. Um, you know, Bill Burr was coming up, but I'm trying to think. You know, like Dave Attell. Was one of the main dudes, Chappelle back then, Jay That's Moore. Crazy, who was in New York at that time? You know, Jim Brewer. Yeah, there was a ton of people. And then, like when I first came to New York, it was this is funny. So people were like, "Oh, like they saw me like on stage, and they were like, oh, 'Oh, you're trying to be Dane Cook.' And this is 1998. And I go, "Who the fuck is Dane Cook?' <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, he's totally trying to be Dane.'" And I was like, "I don't know who the fuck that is." And then so I see Dane. It turns out we have the same manager. And I see Dane. He's super physical. You know, and he had like brown hair, you know, he had some, it was just like, you know, young white dude. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I don't know this fucking guy, so I'm not definitely not trying to be him. And uh, 
and then so you know i was like oh and then people were like you know finally were like okay you're kind of do- you're doing your own thing i was like yeah i'm not gonna f- a i'm not gonna be somebody else a, i'm not gonna be dane cook isn't it funny <laughs> how they compare what i hear what i always hear well you're no fucking daniel tosh i'm like i know but just because we're both white guys who aren't terrible to look at, that's who you compare me with? Like, right. he and I couldn't be more different on stage. Yeah. But because our faces are kind of shaped the same, you're no fucking Daniel Tosh. Yeah. I get it. I'm no Daniel Tosh. Yeah. I mean, it's just dumb. It's it, lazy. But but so, I yeah. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I started doing alternative comedy and being like crowds that weren't, you know, you could kind of experiment and try things and... That's when I kind of got more comfortable with doing weirder shit and being more comfortable with silence on stage because that's always, I think people's comics number one fear when they're first starting out is just that quiet, yeah. you know what I mean, where you can stand on stage and not feel the pressure to like, you know, and New York was intimidating because if you fucking, unless you're really in control, you can lose the crowd quick, very quick, so... You know, when you're starting out, it was it was really intimidating. So the alternative scene helped me <clears throat> a lot in terms of just kind of being a little bit more free. When you're talking about Cross and Odenkirk and Janine, that they also those are not physical comics. No, those are those are writer based storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah. So did that crowd almost force you to do that? They didn't force me. It just opened up that window for me. Like I already had that kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, when you're doing New York and you're young and you're starting out and you want to impress the clubs and you want to get more sets, you've got to fucking kill. I mean, I can't experiment at the fucking comic strip on right. a Friday at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> that's not workout time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got to bring your fireworks. <laughs> so, you know, those the smaller rooms and the coffee house kind of vibe helped a lot in terms of that, you know, like Zach Galifianakis you know we had the same apartment we shared um he lived in it right before me and it was a lot of 80 miles he's a head writer on jimmy fallon was my roommate you know it was a lot of guys coming up through that scene dimitri martin i remember when he first started holy shit so at that time in new york there a huge part of what people consider to be comedy right now yeah was starting oh yeah do you think again everybody do you think that being around all those guys when you're starting helped you develop as a comic or was like hurt you do you know what i mean do you think you would have done better big fish small c or 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 small fish big c oh i think you've got to challenge yourself i mean i was i blew up right away in minnesota so i had a lot of heat i had a lot of attention i I mean i could have easily could have stayed there right you know what i mean i could have been a massive fish in a smaller pond you know but that's not what i wanted i wanted to get out and i wanted to you know, I wanted the whole fucking thing, dude. I wanted to see the world. I mean, I wanted to see, you know, I, I loved comedy. I was, you know, and I was never intimidated by people. I was never threatened. Like, if somebody was funny, I loved, and to this day, I still, you know, when I see people that are funny, I gravitate towards them and I help them. You know what yeah. I mean? I was always like, you know, I wanted them to be better and funnier. And I brought people on the road that are fucking doing awesome now. I remember, you know, I brought BJ Novak out to open for me. It's like fucking. He's throwing. doing pretty well. Yeah. He's yeah. Killing it. I mean, there's so many comics. I'm like, oh, you're really funny. You want to open up? And they're like, yeah. I agree with you. Like, I, I know comics. and We both know comics who take people on the road who aren't on purpose because they're not funny. Right. So it makes them look good. I'm with you, man. I want the person in front of me 
to be funny. Now, I don't want the person in front of me to be doing the same jokes that I'm doing. Right. But if they're funny and we're talking about different shit, that is good. Yeah. And it makes, I like it because it makes me fucking work harder. Yeah. You know, I kind of have to come on and be like, oh, I need to, I need to come out and kind of throw some punches real quick because these people just saw a fucking great comic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You want people, the only thing, I mean, now it's like, I just want people that I know that I can hang out with for a week too. <laughs> like, <That's important. laughs> I mean, a lot of it's like anybody yeah. I bring on tour, it's yeah. like, you know, they've got to be funny, but they've also got to be somebody I can, I'm not going to just completely lose my mind. I, I'm with you. I, for If I bring someone, you probably have to be willing to smoke weed with me. Right. Because well, that's I, now you're pushing drugs on people. Well, not pushing. I'm insisting. <laughs> I think it's two different things. I, 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 because for me, like I like to smoke weed on the road. Right. And when I smoke weed by myself in my room, I mean, I'll do it. Don't tell, don't, I'll do it. Don't fucking, I'll fucking do it. Right. But of course you will. I, I like it a lot more smoking with somebody else. Yeah, of course. So I like to go, but I don't drink anymore really on the road. Okay. Um, let me just say weed's not a drug. <laughs> people, all the people are going to freak out and go like, yeah, Swartz said weed's a drug. Shut up. And the people listen to Okay. Mine. So no, yeah, but yeah, you're they, saying, I, I don't drink so much in, because for me, drinking and weed, Take me down two completely yeah. different paths. That's you don't want to mix those. I mean, you can, but whenever I did, it was always like now I now I'm like the Walking Dead. Now I'm like I'm walking into a wall. Or are you still know. a big drinker on the road? I've tried to go back and forth. I'm 54 days sober right now. You are? Yeah, I've not had a drink um, a or a cigarette or anything. Tell me what have you done that before? I've gone dry when I'm filming. When I'm, whenever I'm doing a movie, I always go sober. But now I'm just. Why? I'm in pre-production on my show. I'm touring. I just kind of wanted to do it. It was something where I was like, you know, I had some friends go like, hey, dude, <laughs> like maybe dial it down. I kind of, this spring was really intense in terms yeah. of, I performed on a cruise ship, which was amazing. How was that? For it was epic how for long? a week. What it was, was one of the most ship? fun I've ever had. The band Train, who I did not know. I knew who they were. And they were like, hey, they really want you. The lead singer's a big fan. I'm like, okay. Dude, he's amazing. So I did the cruise, and I became like best friends with 10 people on the boat, including the band. And Pat has become a very close friend. And it was just awesome. It was an amazing vibe. You should do it. I'll, I'll recommend you do it next year. do it. It was so fun. Anyway, I, I just, I mean, I was drinking right before that, and then I just went into like a, my <laughs> Vegas Final Four. I headlined the Mirage. I do that a couple times a year. And it was just, it was so much drinking that it, it was like cartoonish. And I was like, I got to pull it back. Was there a moment where you were like, mm, uh, this might be the spot where I stop? Yeah, there was, yeah, it was, it, it really started where, and I don't, I'm a big drinker. I don't really smoke weed and I don't do anything else. And uh, my buddy, I was shit faced and I had like a sinus, my sinuses were hurting. And my buddy goes, so do you have anything to take for that? He goes, you're really in pain. I go, no. And he goes, here, take this. <laughs> and normally I would never do that. I'm like, what is it? He goes, it's a painkiller. I'm like, okay. So I took it and it was like a Norco. Oh. And fucking I went down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> like literally couldn't, <clears throat> couldn't walk home. It was Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Crawling home. I fell down my stairs. And I woke up with all these bruises, and I like looked hungover, and I was like, "Fuck this!" And I just sold a show to Comedy Central, which I'm shooting this month. And I just had a bunch of tour dates with Sandler, and I had a lot of stuff coming up. 
And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to like take a time out and clean my body out. So I want to go like six months. Has it changed your, just out of curiosity, because I, I honestly have thought about, I, because it's been so long since I've smoked weed basically every day and I feel like creatively I'm still okay and I feel like my brain is still okay. Right. But then I guess you don't really know until you stop. Yeah. Has it changed creatively for you the way your brain, this 54 days, like, do you feel more, is your stand up better? Is anything, can you relate? I feel definitely more creative and more focused. Really? For sure. I mean, I was always creative anyway, but I mean, like, it it more kind of channeled my focus, a little bit more disciplined. You know, before I'd be like drunk at the bar and I'd write jokes, I'd go up and fuck around. But now it's more like more of a work ethic surrounding it and not just half ass. And my workload is like really dense right now. So, you know, I, I really need to focus and kind of, you know, get my shit together. So that helped a lot. But yeah, I mean, definitely like I wake up at 8 a.m. every day, like without a problem. And I'm ready. I take feed vitamins. The fucking squirrels. Dude, I fucking I've covered in squirrels. <laughs> and uh, they look at my new genitals yeah. and they eat my pubes away. They monitor those. By the way. That's not a terrible... That would be something a squirrel could do, which is trim your pubes. Yeah, they should. But I mean, I, that's what... Do squirrels... Why people save money. Here's the thing about squirrels and cats and dogs. Uh-huh. No taints. They go straight from balls to asshole. I don't... I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that. I guess they do. I think you need a taint. <clears throat> I think you need a little separation. Why do you need it? That seems like, like a really strong stance. Well... You need it? Well, if someone's going to lick my nuts and go to my asshole, I like that little journey they have a journey to realize that they shouldn't do this (laughs) (laughs) it's a little shame shame trail it's the shame trail okay those balls were decent okay there's the shaft Uh, Mm. let me take let's which which way should we go all right there's two ways to go see the trail gives you a little time to even second guess yourself other than that you go straight nut to asshole right like if you're a dog you have no choice but to go straight from your nuts to your asshole yeah, that's true. There's no, there's no, he doesn't get a choice. Yeah. I feel like, do you know what I mean? I like that dogs will casually eat their asshole in front of people as though it's like, they're just like, all right, I'm going to do this. It is so casual because, and they, for whatever reason, I think they like to show you. Right. It's not like a, it's not like a, it's not like a secret for them. They don't, they're not, there's no shame. There's I no think, shame. I think dogs though are shamed when you watch them when they poop. If you look at their face. I do it. By the way, I don't own a dog, but when I see dogs doing that, I'll make eye contact with them. They don't like it. And stare at them because they're fucking embarrassed because they know they're shitting and it's embarrassing. And so I loved like making eye contact and making them feel uncomfortable. It's very powerful for me. I I like it too because my dog looks at me like, what? How many times do we have to do this? Look away, motherfucker. Yeah. What are you doing? Do you ever heckle them? You know what I I'll do? I'll go like, oh, gross, <laughs> and I'll point at them. And Shame you can them? tell, yeah, you can tell they're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I, this morning, okay, for, I ran out of poop bags. Right. So You use your mouth. I, I use my, actually, my <laughs> jean pocket. Is that weird? <laughs> right. I just bend over. I used a sandwich bag, and for whatever reason, it was much grosser. Right. Picking it up, because you could, it was clear, and you can see it. Yeah. I, I, I gagged. Yeah. I was just thinking about it. I would just because it's like, but there's a woman in my neighborhood who's got this dog named Sugar. And so whenever she talks to you, she talks to you through Sugar. 
So she doesn't use her oh, voice. Yeah. She holds Sugar's poop bag like a bag of marbles in her hand like oh, this. Oh no. And she, she just kind Are of Are you fucking kidding she me? She doesn't hold it by the handle. She holds it by the poop and just kind of fondles Like a stress ball. It. Yes, and just fondles it. Ew. And so she'll come up and talk to you, but like this. Sugar wants to talk to Rocky. Is that okay? Hello, Sh- hi Rocky. I'm Sugar. Come on. And she'll say, Sniff butts, guys, sniff butts. Oh my god. It's the most bizarre. But she chases people down. So in my neighborhood, it's well known that Sugar's mom is out of her fucking tree. Yeah, that's not you. But you see people, when you see someone erratically cross street, you know that Sugar's mom's behind them. Right. Because people now don't even pretend to like her. So they run like it's a zombie that's infected. That's like coming towards you. If a woman was fondling shit walking towards you, you might be like, you know what? I don't want to talk to her. Right. This is not going to be the lady that we're going to have a great conversation. Do not with. go to her house on Halloween. <laughs> no. You open up your bag. What is this? What I, is this treat? What was your favorite treat on Halloween? What? What was your? I was a Charleston Chew guy, dude. I like Charleston Chews. I mean, let me think. Did you? Do you know I almost got arrested uh, on Halloween when I was a kid? No. When I was growing up. It was almost like rites of passage. When you got to be 15, one Halloween, you had to go and steal a bag of candy from a kid. Oh, that's evil. Terrible. But it happened to us, and we got punched. We were like, we're not going to punch the kids. We're just going to take their candy. God, punched. We got punched. Punched in the side of the head as an eight-year-old by a 15-year-old. Oh, God. And it took our bag. Okay. Whoever did that, you're a fucking evil person. Okay. The fuck is wrong with you? So my friends and I were like, we'll just go, we'll take one bag, and we'll just, that's our rites of passage, right? So we pull over, we see these three kids, and we're like, let's just grab, and we're, we're apologizing to them, but this one kid won't let go of his bag. Won't let go of his bag, won't let go of his bag. And my friend's like, he won't let go of his bag. I'm like, just leave the fucking bag, let's get out of here. His other two friends were crying, and he's like, I'm not giving you my bag. He's like, just give us the fucking bag. Um, and he takes the bag from him. And we go in the car and whatever. So that next week at school, these police officers walk into my class. Amazing. And I'm like, I turn to the kid who's always in trouble. And I was like, Steve, you're up. You know, like, and uh, the teacher goes, Josh Wolf, yeah, he's right there. And I was like, first thing I thought is, all right, someone's dead. Right. Someone I know died and they're coming to get me. So I was like, what is it? And he goes, you Josh Wolf? And I go, yeah, fucking down on the table bring me up to pl- no way are you what? freaking out yeah i was fucking so i go to the principal's office and apparently one of the kids watched a little too much fucking police dramas because he got my license plate no yeah. way <laughs> got my fucking license plate that's amazing so we fucking stole a bag of candy from colombo or something wow from young so you did a hard time so we were i was like oh my god but the kid because we denied it at first, we were automatically, all right, everything else that comes out of your mouth is now a lie. And I knew what we did was wrong, and we were fucking assholes and whatever. But the kid made up the story that we had knives. Ooh, I and, like that. And now that we had lied, and he had got our license plate, we were, it was now like a real fucking criminal charge. Right. But then I was like, listen, okay, I admit to everything. Why would I need a knife? Right. To take a kid's candy. And you know what the police officer asked me? He goes, let me ask you a better question. Why would you take a kid's candy? And I was like, hmm. Well, you answer my question first. (laughs) I'll try to think of a good answer for yours. (laughs) But we, uh, we ended up 
not obviously going to jail, obviously not going to jail. Um, and um, we, they didn't even re- press charges. I think we had to pay some money. But it was fucking scary. Ever j- any jail, anything ever? I no jail, but I've come really walk the line. I've been handcuffed and yeah, I mean I've been handcuffed and put in a car. You have? Yeah. How old? Uh, fifteen. Uh, any? Do you want to? I lit up a blunt in uh, school. In school? In school, while class was going on, I fired up a blunt. So you were a good student. Yeah, I was kind of a rebel, and uh, that was frowned upon. Yeah. So I, me and my couple buddies were handcuffed and brought through the school, and uh, yeah, I I had to do I had to go to court ordered rehab. At fifteen? Mm-hmm. For how long? Uh, not long. I had to go do a couple sesh, couple sessions. How old were you when you started smoking and drinking? Fourteen. Uh, Which one first? Well, Minnesota, so chewing tobacco oh, I would chew come tobacco first. Too. Um, what did, was you a dip or a leaf guy? Uh, both. Yeah, me too. Then it was cigarettes, and then it was drinking, and then it was weed. I mean, weed and drinking kind of at the same time. Did you guys, because we did a lot of outside drinking, but it's fucking cold in St. Paul. Did you do the outdoor drinking? We would do everything. Everything. Yeah, I mean, we would do outdoor. I mean, you know, not below zero. But it was, you know, it was just one of those headaches of trying to find booze and have people buy it for you. My uncle was a real champ and he would buy me. I drank a 40 on the bus on the way to school. So this is how hardcore I was. Drank in the back of the bus, pulled out a 40 of Schlitz Blue Bowl. And kids were like, what in the fuck is this dude doing? I was 15 years old, 15, 16. And I was just chilling. Like, all my friends were, you know, I had friends and fucking, that were, like, seriously, you know, problem kids. But, uh, yeah, I was just crushing a 40. And I, my first class was health, and I passed out. And that's, it sounds like a joke. It's not. Wait, did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, older brother, older sister. Uh, and were they, did they start drinking and stuff early? Yeah, they were partiers. So, by the time, because, so you're the youngest. Yeah. That's what happened with me. By the time... I came along. My parents were like, just don't die. Yeah. Well, they were, my, my parents were really clueless because my, you know, my brother and sister, they were functioning. I mean, like my brother was like homecoming king and like right. quarterback. So they were like, okay, they didn't really, he, he hit it a lot better. I was like, fuck the system type of thing. I, I was like, I was growing weed in my room. My mom was so naive. You were growing weed in your room? Yeah. It was, yeah, I was completely out of control. But you know, like uh, my brother and sister went away to college and then I was just home alone and my p- parents had split up. So I was just left to fucking go rogue. I was just mad maxing it. And then until I got arrested and then I cleaned up for a while. So like this is kind of how I, I got into comedy was I cleaned up. I took theater class because I needed an easy A. And then I got the my acting. I got the bug for that. And my teacher was like, you need to keep doing this. And then I started doing improv and then I started stand up out of high school, and by How that old time, were you? how old were you? The first time you did stand up, uh, I just turned nineteen. And where did you go to Acme? At Acme Comedy Club at the open mic. <clears throat> and so when I started comedy, I was like totally focused. I'd already cleaned up. I had already gone to rehab. I, you know, I was completely. I'd already been there, done that. Where a lot of the people starting out were drinking and smoking and doing local jokes. I was like, fuck this. I started stand up with a plan. I was like, I want to get out of Minnesota. I, still, I love Minnesota, but I wanted to make a bigger move. Right. 
And so I was like really focused and wrote my ass off, was totally sober, totally driven, and did material that would work, you know, that was broad. I didn't want to be like just doing jokes about like, you know, a store in St. Paul, Minnesota, or doing just local references. You know, a lot of people were just complacent. I was like, I want to, you know, tell stories that people can relate to, and I wanted to really expand myself. Yeah, but you tell stories that people can relate to, and then you take, you add a giant ridiculous on it. Yeah, I kind of throw my spin on yeah, it. That's you know, insane. Like, like the, the story I told you the other night about, the, the story you told the other <laughs> night about, you know, people telling excuses for their, yeah. not for their kids. It's very relatable, and then your punchline is insane. Is, is insane. <laughs> yeah. Right? So when did you... Because to me, that's a completely unique style of comedy. You know what I used to love about, and still do about Kevin Hart, is Kevin Hart said completely ridiculous things with 100% conviction. Oh, yeah. Right? So that's a skill set that is not easy. But yours also, because you tell a relatable thing, and then you your punchline is like... What the fuck did he just say? Yeah. When did you? Because I know you didn't start doing that. Like, when did, did, was there a point where you're like, "Oh, this is what I'm gonna do"? I never made it a conscious. This is what I'm gonna do. That's just how my mind worked. I mean, when I did my first special for Comedy Central in 2000 or 2001 or whatever the fuck, I remember doing like my joke about my funeral, and I was like, you know, when I die. You know, and it was like, you know, it's just a broad premise about like, you know, my funeral and how, you know, this is how I want it to be. But I was talking about techno music and my body swinging over the crowd and John Stamos showing up. Yeah. You know, and it was just like a weird spin on that, you know, and I never really thought of it as like a style. I just that's just how I envision the joke. But I mean, you know, to me, that's just how my mind always worked is just, you but know, you take. All right. So you take the trick to comedy and great comedy for me is doing jokes that nobody else can do. Right. You take a premise. It's hard to take premises that are broad and make them specific to you, but you do that as well as anybody. Oh, thanks, man. Do you know? So that like that's what I mean. Like for me, my a lot of my jokes you can't tell because they're about my kid or my life, right? Right. But I've never mastered that skill about like, you know, years ago when that argument with Carlos and Ari Shafir was happening. I was like, this is just a broad premise. Like, he could be a joke thief, but it's still a broad premise. Right. You make broad premises, and you make that joke. Like, nobody could take that broad premise and make it their own the way you do. Like, is there, for you, is there um, a filter that you're running through, or is it just the way it comes out? It just goes, it just goes, comes out how it comes out. I don't know. It's just kind of a... I don't know. My brain just goes right to where I, I rarely rewrite anything. Once I stick on something like what I don't want to give. You don't add tags. And oh, no, no. I'll, yeah, but I'm saying rewrite. Like okay, Once I yeah. usually stick to like I don't want to give away that joke because it's one of my new jokes. But the kid joke, like once I landed on that, like when I that was my first go to somehow was that punchline. It and, was. Yeah. And, that, and then I, and I was just like, I, I, I don't want anything. I thought about well, maybe there's another thing. But I was like, no, I'm going to. I'm gonna stick on that one because it was. It's it's ridiculous, and, and you know it's insane. Here's the, the difference between those punchlines and that punchline in particular. You know when you watch as comics, a lot of times I don't watch the comic. I watch people's reactions. Do you ever do that? You yeah. Just, I listen, but I watch the reaction of the people in the crowd. Right. And it's there's a difference between laughter and somebody who's hunched over or somebody who's hitting a table. Right. And. What I find with your punchlines, 
because you yank people so far the other way, <laughs> right. you get a lot of the hunched over or the the hand slap. And for me as a comic, that's why I like to watch guys like you. And I watch, I'll go watch Bill Burr every now and then just to feel bad about myself. Yeah. Because I want, I'm like, this is the goal. Is The goal is to make people hit the table. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I Was mean, there a guy when you were starting that, that you were like... Oh, I, I'll, I, I'll always go see his set. I mean, Brian Regan, I love. Oh my I God. still love. I mean, I bought a special the other day and I watched. And I, I can't watch stand-up comedy anymore. But, like, there's certain people that I'll definitely... I love Bill Burry. He's great. You know, Bill, to me, is impressive because he, he can take a premise and really dissect it. Mm-hmm. And he can take a concept and really find the nuances in it and bring out so much more to one thing, you know, where my style is kind of all over. I'll hit a premise and I'll kind of stick and move, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, with a, with a long story, I'll, I can, you know, really fine-tune it. But Bill's just great at taking, like, I did a show the other day with him and he did a thing about McDonald's breakfast, how it's 24 hours a day now. And it's such a simple, like, oh, yeah, like everyone's driven past McDonald's. Oh, they have 24-hour breakfast. And he just hit it so hard and did like, he just brought out so much to that broad observation. And it's very, it's very specific to him. Like nobody, like you said, nobody could recreate what he did. Right. It's very Bill Burr. Like it's his brain on that subject. And even to talk a a lot about that in this day and age, it's funny how I wrote a tweet and it was like a broad tweet. And it, somebody was like, oh, that's so-and-so's joke. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And then people were like, oh, you're a thief. And I was like, well, no, I, don't, I didn't know that. So people that do that, this is just kind of a general people listening. Um, why don't you fucking chill out? Yeah. Because this comedy wave of people that the are, are so cool. Yeah, but it's just so quick to call people thieves. It's like to steal from comics, first of all, almost every comic knows each other. We all know each other. Yeah. It's a very small world. So no one's going to consciously steal you know there are cases of it that i've seen but for the most part like i can't watch what everybody does we're all we all observe the same stuff yeah so this guy called me out on this joke that some it was somebody else's joke and i was like oh fuck and i deleted it and i sent out a tweet just to to the comic and then the comic hit me back he's like dude yeah obviously i didn't i would never think that you know and i always pointed out like if i see somebody i'm like hey i do a similar thing if it's really similar yeah but for the most part, like people don't fucking steal. Like, I'll never forget when I was at home in Minnesota and I was watching Conan. This is 1999, and I just started comedy. And I did a joke about how athletes celebrate too much. Yeah. Like when they score a touchdown, I'm like, well, that's your job. I don't know why you're dancing around and coming up with all these moves and doing the kick worm and then throwing the ball. You know, it's like you're supposed to do that. I don't know why you're fucking acting like this is weird. Wouldn't mind bringing back the kick worm, though. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Point taken. <laughs> if but you no, wouldn't so, mind doing one by the t- by when I leave. God. <laughs> I have another story for that. All right. So, but my point is I saw Conan and I saw Bill Burr on Conan and he did the same premise and did the same tag I have. Of like, you don't see a surgeon do his last stitch and celebrate and throw the scalpel into the ground and fucking tip over a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he did the same premise and the same tag. I'd never seen him before. This is 1999. I'd never left Minnesota. And he had never, this is before the internet. Shocking. And so. Wait, did people do comedy before the internet? <laughs> yeah. 
But so we had never seen each other. But and it was my first kind of thing where like, yeah, this is what happens. Like you're gonna you're gonna have that. We live in the same world. Yeah. So we so observe the same thing. You can't just go on a witch hunt and go like thief, thief, thief. It's just people are so there's quick st- to do that. There's a story I had uh, that the, the I did at the Laugh Factory, and it's a story about my first date with my wife, how I accidentally shit my pants. Right. Now I'm not the only comic that has a story about shitting their pants. Right. Yeah. No. Right. I, I know a lot of comics who have it. I, I it's not a story I tell anymore, but it's online. And this is the last time I won't read those YouTube comments anymore because they're like, this, he stole this joke from so-and-so who told a story about shit in their pants. It's just like people used to accuse me of stealing Louis C.K.'s act because he's a single dad and I was a single dad. <laughs> right. They were like, are you doing Louis C.K.'s jokes? I'm like, no. As a matter of fact, I was a single dad before him. He's just more famous than I am. Yeah. That's all. That's You've seen and you've heard of him before. It's crazy. The it's really obnoxious, though, because to me, it's it's the most offensive thing you can call a comedian. Like, if you call me a fucking thief, I will fight you. Like, that's the only thing that would make me because I am such a fan of comedy, and it's and I've you know I'm friends with everybody in the comedy community. I would never steal anything. Yeah. So to go out of your way to be like, "Yeah, man, you're a fucking thief," it's it's so egregious to me and offensive. You know, I mean, that's just evil taking somebody else's shit. I won't name names, but there are people that have done that. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, Carlos Mencia's bit, that's Bill Cosby's bit verbatim about, you know, raising a kid and yeah. that whole thing that they posted on YouTube side by side. That's a case of very specific. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, that looks yeah. like stealing to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. You know, and then there's the Dane Cook, Louis C.K. thing, which, yes. you know, is a little too... To me, that's... A- to me, that's a little more gray because it's a little more broad, but I agree with you. I, I, Here's the thing. I know both those guys. I've yeah. known them a long time. The only thing that I thought was weird is that Dane gave a credit on his album, and it said additional material written by Louis C.K. Is that true? Yeah. I saw that in like his liner notes, and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't do that if, no. if if I had thought of something, you know what I mean? And I know Dane and Dane's a friend, but when I saw that, I was like, eh, whatever. You know, I wouldn't, I would be like, no, fuck you. I thought of this too. Yeah. This is an observation I had, you know? So anyway, you know, like for the most part, comics don't fucking steal. I no, mean, it's just... And by the way, the people... You're going to get called out by a comic. And the people who steal are, are not, they're not going to be successful very long. It's t- There's too many watchdogs, dude. You could not do this town is too small. In particular, this one. Yeah. You couldn't hop on any of these three stages: the improv, the laugh factory, the comedy store. Do somebody else's joke and not have another comic be like, "Hey, man, that's somebody else's fucking joke." Yeah. That's there's just no way you could do it. Now, I was in Boston uh, a couple weeks ago doing a charity, and one of the local comics, I heard him doing someone else's joke, and he walked off stage, and I go, "Hey, that's not your joke." And he goes, no, no, that's which one? I go, I think you know which one I'm talking about. The the one that got laughs. Right. <laughs> that one. You know the other jokes <laughs> that you told that didn't get as many laughs? Those for sure were your jokes. The one that got a little bit of an applause, that's the one I'm talking about. Right. He was like, are you sure? I'm like, are are we really going to have this conversation? <laughs> Do you? Ha, nobody's told you that somebody else's joke before? And he goes, no, somebody mentioned it. I go, yeah. When more than one person mentions... You probably should stop doing you it. You should probably... <laughs> I've had now 
people come to my show before and been like, I'm going to get into stand up. And I'm like, oh, good for you. There go. And somebody, it was a kid and his dad. And his dad was like, yeah, I told him just to do some prior stuff and some. And he listed like, do some Richard Pryor stuff, do some George Carlin stuff. And I go, what do you mean? Like, write kind of like them? They go, he was like, no, like, pick the best jokes and do those because those are great jokes. I'm like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to do that, right? Like, you're not supposed to because <laughs> yeah. they've already done those jokes. And you know what the guy said to me? He goes, are you telling me if he started a band, he couldn't go out to a bar and play Don't Stop Believing? I'm like, well, yeah, he could. It, but for whatever reason, it's different rules. It's different rules. Right, but that's also... You can't go out as a band and go, this is my band, the, the assholes. And then this is our new song, Don't, Don't Stop, Stop Believing. Yeah, that's true. That's because true. everybody knows it's a cover. Right. It's a hit song. You know, if you're, you know, not, you know, a lot of young people might not know Richard Pryor's jokes. You know what I mean? So it's like, but you just don't do that. No. I mean, if you're serious about being a comic, if you want to rehearse them in your room and be like, oh, yeah, this I really love this joke. I want to do it. You know what I mean? I've heard stories about people. You know, when they were young, starting out, they would practice like, "Oh, yes, practice Bill Cosby's routine, whatever the fuck." But I mean, yeah, you you don't do that on stage. No. It's insane. Tell me the floor worm story. Oh, uh, I was at a wedding, and one of my buddies uh, was in the wedding party, and he would he used to do the kickworm in high school. In high school, he used to do the kickworm. Uh, he tried to dust that off uh, for the wedding. Alcohol involved. And he did the kickworm and smashed his face and cut his mouth open and then had to go to the doctor. Uh, listen, I can honestly say I've seen the weddings for whatever reason are like Vegas. It's amazing. For whatever reason, people decide at weddings and in Vegas, no rules. Yeah. I'm going to fucking just do. And especially at weddings, like just to see 65 year old people just fucking shit faced. Yeah. And out there dancing is the best weddings are amazing I, a lot of people hate them which i always kind of never understood they hate going to them i have a lot of friends who are like oh i gotta invite you to a fucking wedding unless it's a destination and it's a real headache and maybe like you you have a family and you can't you know you can't yeah. afford it like i don't like destination weddings like a lot you know my sister's like i'm getting married in spain which i'm like okay cool and she's what, like what's the guest list eight people yeah i was like uh, you know, i go you know that no, nobody in our family can afford to go to spain she's like yeah, well, you can help them out. And I'm like, okay, you fucking bitch. How many people in your family assume that you're going to pay? Yeah, I was like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's not how it works. You can't just go, yeah, I'll pay for myself. Abba. I'll pay for mom. <laughs> you went double abbreviation and put it together. Yeah. Abba. I like that. But, I mean, yeah, I'll pay for like a couple people. I'm not going to fly... You know, our cousins Jim. out. Yeah, I'm not going to fly Randy, the mailman. You know, what the fuck? Are you going to Spain? Um, I think so. Have you been to España? No, I really want to go. Obviously, it's, I heard it's amazing. But, you know, anyway, my point is weddings are just like, if it's a good buddy and, you know, it's not a headache, I, I, I love it. I People get fucking housed, like you said. Because the two, I will go down to my grave and tell you the two most powerful words and in, in the english language back to back are open bar oh yeah nothing motivates people to get out of their fucking house yeah i'm not i don't think i'm gonna go open bar yeah i'll go yeah open bar and free buffet are the two that really open bars trumps everything open though. bar gets free people buffet, fucking you moving. can get bad diarrhea yeah but wait, is there good diarrhea I'm just curious. Well, that's my joke. Yeah, right. You're welcome. Also, weddings are great because you also hear those other three words, especially from somebody over 50 
who's got coke <laughs> when you can hear that when you can get <laughs> I w- uncle gary out of his shell <laughs> and the floodgates open the wife's like i'm gonna co- turn in early he's like yeah totally Good save. Who's that was sweet save? Did you? I will tell you right now, there is nothing more fun to watch than a guy who hasn't done coke in twenty years. Yeah, be like I'll do a bump. That is like, and I don't do coke anymore either. Uh, for me, I just never liked it right. at all. I enjoy any kind of mind altering. I like shrooms and acid. I used to do some mescaline. Um, I would do ayahuasca and peyote. I would do all that shit. See, I was going to say, when people open for me, they have to do ayahuasca every day. I, I would do all on that. On stage. Have you ever done that? I haven't. It's funny. It was, I just got my hair did. And my my barber. Uh, barber? He, yeah. My, my barber. He just did ayahuasca and was telling me about it. And I've, had, I've had a lot of friends do it. My buddy's a writer, Steve Marsh, in Minneapolis, and he wrote a story about it and did went to Peru and got like a whole shaman and did like a pilgrimage or whatever it's called. Yeah, Chelsea did that too. Did she really? Yeah, Jesus. She, she asked me to go. She did it for her show. She asked me to go with her, and I was like, I was actually doing some at the time. My brother has done it three times. He said the first time was an amazing life-altering experience. Right. He said the second time he threw up and shit for five hours in a row. Right. And he said the third time, and I said, I'm going to stop you right there. After the second time, why was there a third time? <laughs> like, if you do something that makes you shit and throw up at the, sh- at the same time yeah. for five hours, I'm tapping out. Right. That's not, like, if that happens once, when I take shrooms, I always throw up. Right. Do you? I have di- diarrhea when I have shroom. Yeah, yeah. So, but then it goes away and we're off to the races. Yeah. And yay. But five hours in a row while you're hallucinating, I mean... What's ha- what is going through your brain? Well, but I heard I heard ayahuasca is everything. It's like a mental journey, but it's also a physical detoxifier. So it's really getting like my buddy was like the shaman that he was with was like your body's going to do a lot of weird shit because different parts of your body are holding on to different tensions and different kinds of like demons, so to speak. So he's like my buddy was like, dude, I he goes, I kept burping these deep like guttural burps he was like it was so weird really? like the shaman was like oh yeah that's for this part of what you're dealing with with your psyche and stuff so he he was saying that the physical aspects of it you you, can, you definitely can vomit definitely can diarrhea but that's a lot of your body getting rid of because that's actually a really good thing is the more your body can get rid of the toxins and all the n- negative shit did your buddy also tell you that you are even though you're tripping you're also in control that's yeah he said that it's not yeah, he said that it's – he just laid on the ground. He said he, it wasn't like a physical thing where, like, you're going to go jump out a window or anything. He goes – he lay there with his eyes closed, and he just said he just went on a fucking ride of, you know. He said he could hear other people kind of crying around him and, like, whimpering. I might – I don't really feel I'm at a place where I'm, like, I need to – you know, I need it, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm at the perfect place. I, I can't tell. I, if it's purging, that makes it seem like that you are pooping out things that are deep, like you wouldn't. Know. And I'm, if anything, just curious to see what, what that would look like. I mean, I've done cleanses where I've done like some really weird poops. Oh, I've done cleanses too. Where have you ever done the thing in the morning where you chug a jug of lukewarm sea salt water, and it's like a whole pitcher of it? Wake up and chug it and then just wait. I thought salt water is supposed to be bad for your body. No, sea salt, if you, if you chug it in the morning, it, 
it goes right through your body like a fucking wrecking ball, dude. What happens? You have to be by a toilet within five to ten minutes. <laughs> what the sea salt does is it it pulls off. <laughs> Wait, I sort so of, it no, pulls out like all the tar and shit. So you you shit stuff where it just looks very bizarre. Like sea monkeys? It's not magical. Oh, okay. I was just yeah. curious. If no, bizarre doesn't always mean critters. Know. Well, you said, you know, I, I, maybe I've eaten a sea No, monkey. it's like chunks of like black stuff that oh, are, are no, being pulled through no, your intestines. No, no, no. I, it's pretty amazing though. I, I remember one time I did um, an ecstasy for six days in a row. Okay. And what came out of my body at the end of that six days was... All I can tell you is that I ended up in a Whataburger bathroom. Um, I left that Whataburger bathroom with no socks and no underwear. Right. And a color that came out of my body, out of my asshole, was only it, not a red and not an orange, but like a, a glowing kind of. I've had that. It was so disturbing because I've, I've had never that. ingested anything that color before. Right. But somehow my body was like, hey, we're going deep here. We're- That's bile. Ugh. I've had that before. It was terrible. When I was detoxing, when I detoxed not that long ago off, when I was taking pills and boozing, I'm talking boozing, I went into detox mode and I was shitting sounds and like <laughs> glowing liquids and like fluorescence. Sea monkeys? Sea monkeys. Yeah, a couple of sea monkeys yep. came out. Riding squirrels. I, but no, it was like some shit where I was like, what in the fuck? And it's your organs revolting against your body and going like your kidneys, like everything going like, no, this is you're putting poison in yourself. And we're saying no more. We do not want you to do that. No anymore. more. Your organs were just saying no, Nick. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell everybody about what your show is going to be? My Comedy Central? Yeah. It's called Typical Rick, and it's me and my friend Simon Rex, who goes by Dirt Nasty also, and it's like the odd couple- Simon Rex, MTV Simon Rex? (laughs) Yeah, but he's been doing Dirt Nasty, a rapper, and he's fucking hilarious, and it's the odd couple meets Entourage, so it's two guys that move from a small town in Iowa to LA, and I want to be a dramatic actor, and he's just kind of the plus one from hell, and he implodes like every situation- and it's just two bodies. So it's a very simple concept, but the execution's really... Did you write it? I wrote it with my buddy who directed Grandma's Boy, Nick Goosen, who's directing the series. Man. And uh, it's it's going to be fucking really funny. It's going to be great. You do, like, you write and act and do stand-up, right? Everything, yeah. Uh, is there... You like stand-up the most? I mean, they're all, they're all so different. I like everything. But, I mean, stand-up to me is in my core. And it's something I can you know, do immediately and get an immediate reaction. And, you know, so I, I do like that aspect of it. I love stand up. I, I, and I think part of it is because I'm terrible at it. Never much got into acting. Right. But you started, well, you can tell though, I think you can tell by your stand up that you enjoy acting and you're probably, very I love good. acting. Yeah. Yeah. And, but right for me, I like writing more than acting. Not, I don't write stand up by the way. I don't know about you. I, Go premise in my head on stage. Talk yeah, about that's it. what I do. I don't okay. write premise. I mean, I don't write stand up. Um, but I like writing 
more than acting for whatever. I think it's just because I get to create whatever I want to create. It's more writing is amazing, and I I always tell people everybody should write. You should just write as an exercise. You should just write. You know, I mean, writing's really great for your mind, and it's just good for introspection, and it's just a good thing to do. But I like, I love writing. I, I'll always write. So, you know, even if it's going to get made or not, it's just a good. It's fun to do. I have to ask you. That is the oddest place for a band aid I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I got a cigarette. My buddy burned me on accident. <laughs> it's right under my tattoo that I got on the cruise ship. Best trip ever. Part two with half of a heart. The other half belongs to Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC. That is fucking amazing. Yeah, we both got him on the cruise ship. We were really excited. On the cruise ship with Train? Yeah, we were boarding the cruise, and this guy comes up to me. I'll tat it up, and he goes, Hey, Swartzen, man, big fan. Looking forward to your show on the boat. Just so you know, I'm a tattoo artist. I'm going to be here on the boat all week doing tattoos. If you guys want any tattoos, just come by, and I'll hook you up. And I go, uh, thanks, man. Pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm good. Probably I'm not, not getting I'm not, a tattoo on a cruise. I go, I'm not getting a tattoo on a cruise ship. Okay, I've got other tats that mean a lot to me, and uh, I'm a little above that. But thank you, and it's a pleasure to meet you. And it was literally like the hangover, like cut to me, blacked out with Chris, and then we dragged my buddy Joe Bachman and to the tattoo artist, fucking hammered. The, nobody even blinked an eye at how drunk we were. Right. It was just like immediately tattoos us. Do you think? And the next day, people were like, "Do you regret that?" I was like, "Not even close." I go, "This is maybe my favorite tattoo, and I have a handful of tattoos." Do you think that tattoo people ever say you're too drunk to get a tattoo? I've I think been that would cut into their business a little bit. No, no. I, I mean, I've gotten, I have five tattoos, yep. and the only one of them I've gotten sober. So which one? Uh, the Minnesota area code on my wrist. What's the bear? That's a long story. California bear. That's where I live now. Yeah. But then there's a whole nother meaning to it. Okay. Well, we won't get into the other meaning for that. Yeah, um, there's a whole nother. Is there anything else that you would like to plug and tell people? When does this I air? Or? I, I will put it out on tomorrow, Thursday. Oh, great. Um, if people can follow me at Nick Swartzen on Twitter and real Nick Swartzen on Instagram, and I'm going on the road in July and October, I'm doing a bunch of shows. So come check me out. I'm working out a new material for a new special, hopefully next year, but that the, all those will have the dates. The new material I can vouch for is, and I've, I saw a little bit at the goddamn comedy jam Uh huh. and then I saw a little at the factory. It's fucking great. Thanks, bud. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really. It's that's a funny thing too. It's I know I know you probably every comic goes through it, but when you release a special and you go, well, I think that might be it. I don't have another hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. always like, I think that's it, and it's a panic of like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Think of jokes. Think of jokes. Think of things. Do you know what I've started to do on every set that isn't the Saturday early show? Uh huh. Fifteen minutes in the middle is just something I need to try. All, no matter what I'm doing, even if it's a set that if it's the hour right. that I know I'm going to do, 15 minutes in the middle is just I have to I promise myself try something new. Yeah, because I'm with you. Like, I don't know about you. If I'm sitting in my house by myself, I'm not funny. But the pressure of being on stage in front of other people, you makes have to me think of funny shit. Yeah, no, your mind just goes. So for sure. I mean, I always like right now I'm doing sets around L.A., and I'm every set I have, I have a set tonight at the improv and I'm making sure I do at least one or two new premises or jokes 
every set just to build and build and build. Do you feel like, okay, how much, when you step on stage, because everybody knows Nick Swartz when you step on stage. Right. What amount of time do they give you? Because I've always said, <laughs> the more people that know you, the more amount of time you have up front to, have to, a question. Get, them, to get them. Right. So how much time do you feel like the audience, because I, I remember watching Damon Wayans go down to the improv and do an hour of just sitting up there and trying to find material. Right. And for 15 minutes. I've seen people do that too. Yeah. And for 15 minutes, the audience will fake laugh with him. Right. Because he's Damon Wayans. But then after 15, he had built up 15. 15's a, that's a, lot. a big cushion. It's a lot. How much cushion do you feel like at this point you have? And not that you need it. I'm just curious. Like, do you. I won't name names, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of big comics go up and wing it. And it's really bad. Yeah. And I'm, I've always been like, I would never, ever do that to a crowd. I would never be like, yeah, I'm just going to pop on. A, you're bumping other comedians that are working their ass off. And B, like, what fuckhead just goes like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking, I don't know. I'm just going to talk. Yeah. I just, I like, just go up with a battle plan. You I know what I'm I mean? I'm too insecure to do that, by the way. I, I just really would never do I that. I mean, I, I would never... I wouldn't even say I have a question because I would never allot myself a question. So, you know, maybe people would give me five minutes. I don't even know. I would never even do that. I would I would open. I would have a fucking set. I would never go on stage if I didn't have any place being there. The only time I did that was at the improv. I was in a full blackout and somebody canceled. And I go, fuck. And they're like, sorts when we go on. I go, no, I'm too drunk. And they're like, we need somebody. Like, this is like a nightmare. The headline is canceled. I go, I can barely walk or see. <laughs> and they go, doesn't matter. You're Nick Swartzen. People love that. And I go, and I go, yeah, I know. But I go, I, I don't, I'm not going to be good. And they're like, dude, you'll be fine. You're fucking, you can do it. They hammer me. I go on stage. I'm the second I step to the mic. I don't know if you've ever been this fucked up. The second I see three microphones in front of me, oh, no. I'm that drunk. And the second, you know, they're like Nick Swartzen. The crowd's like, yay. And I'm like, I should not be on this fucking stage in my head. I fumble through my first joke. Doesn't make sense. I have to retell it. And then I have to retell it again. And then I have to retell it four times. Oh, no. I tell the joke and barely get it. And the audience is laughing. And I stop myself and I go, I should not be on stage. I'm in a full blackout. I will see you later. And then the audience fucking cheered. But I was like, I, I got myself off. And then I flipped out on the manager and the comics and I go, what the fuck are you doing getting me on stage like that? I go, I'm not in any mindset. And they're like, sorry, dude. And I was like, no, fuck you. You can tell that I'm fucked up. Yeah. But did the audience I go, it's good think for it was you. part of the bit? I don't know. I mean, it was fine. It would definitely, you know, they thought it was funny and they yeah. laughed. But if I had tried to power through, it would have just been pathetic. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it would have just been like, oh, yeah, I saw Nick. Like, it wasn't. So, yeah, they might have thought it was a bit, but it wasn't. I was royally smashed. Did, did, did you do your new material on this tour with Sandler and those guys? I did some of it, yeah. A lot of it I want to save for when I tour tour, you know what I mean? Like I want a, more of a, a reveal. So I, I did a mix of it. I did new shit. I did half and half. Sandler's new. How much time, when you do that tour, how much time do you do? You do? 30? 15 to 20. Because Schneider does 15 to 20. Norm does 15 to 20. Spade does 15 to 20. I do 15 to 20. Holy shit. Yeah, and then Sandler does like an hour and a half. He does an hour and a half? Yeah, so it's a full fucking show. He does an hour and a half? Yeah. How much of that is music? Well, it started out 95% of it. Now it's 80. He's kind of building into doing stand-up and 
in between and stuff. But it's probably yeah, 75-80% music. I we he did he came down, he was nice enough to do He's been working on a lot of shit locally. He did a, a we did a charity event for this a boots campaign, right? The boot okay. campaign and um he came down and did some songs when he was working on them. And I fuck I will listen to whatever song that dude ever writes. Yeah. It makes me laugh. He, his new songs, I was like, how is it? What's he going to do? Where Where is he at? And his new songs were fucking hilarious. I know he was working on it at the time, but he wrote a song about a kid going get going fishing with his grandfather. Yeah. When he started that, I'm like, where is this going? And by the end, I was like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah, no, he's brilliant, man. It's been fun to see him be go live. And I we, we had talked about it for years about him going on tour. He always talked about it. And then finally he started writing and got the bug, and I was so happy that he did. What's the motivation? Just to, just loves it. Just you know, he's so he's such a creative dude, and he had enough. You know, it's like anybody where they have enough new material. But I mean, he hasn't been on the road for twenty plus years, so you know, he never felt he was ready or had the ammo. And now, like after a while, he had built up this kind of catalog, and he had had great people, Paul Sato and Dan Bula, these writers. Uh, that are great and they helped him out a lot and you know he felt confident enough and he always knew he had me and spade and schneider and other guys so it's like that's a fucking crazy lineup dude yeah it's insane so you know he's got these guys with him so he knows you know he was kind of like well you know if it doesn't go well at least they saw nick and david and rob and norm and fucking meadows and like all these other guys that is a- so i think you know like he kind of had this buffer of like but it was always going to go well, but he still doesn't think, you know, he's always like, oh, this might not work. Oh, those songs forever and ever. My son oh, yeah, he's still hilarious. listens to the fucking oh, Monica song. Yeah, no, it's unreal. Um, I have to go. I know, me too. Okay, good. Buddy, thank you for doing this. I love you, man. I'll do it anytime, and uh, I'll see you, out, see you out there on the streets. I'll see you on stage, bro. But, uh, yeah, Later, love you. Everybody. Blessings.